Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Saturday, January 6th, day 92 to the war with Hamas. Amanda Borshel-Dan here for my now regular Saturday chat with our U.S. Bureau Chief, Jacob Magid. Hi, Jacob. Are you enjoying your snow today? <laughs> yes, we see some flurries out here. Much different temperature here. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is making several visits to different countries in the Middle East region. We'll hear when he means to arrive in Israel and what he's meant to accomplish here. The Biden administration has lambasted South Africa for beginning proceedings against Israel at the International Court of Justice. And finally, on Friday, War Cabinet Minister Benny Gantz warned Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to choose between unity or playing politics. We'll hear what led up to that remark. All this and more when we're back. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachek's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachek Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek Team at www.sarachecklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. This morning, the Hezbollah terror group in Lebanon fired a barrage of dozens of rockets into Israel in a move it called, quote, an initial response to the alleged Israeli killing of Hamas terror chief Saleh Arouri in Lebanon on Tuesday. The IDF said it carried out airstrikes on a series of Hezbollah sites in response to this attack on northern Israel. Rocket sirens have also sounded today along the southern border, and fighting continues, especially in the southern Gaza Strip. On Friday, one rocket hit a building in the southern city of Sterot, and a second rocket fell outside of the city. The Hamas-run health ministry in Gaza says that at least 22,722 people have been killed in the Strip since the war was launched after the terror group's onslaught on October 7th. The Hamas figures don't differentiate between civilians and combatants and includes Palestinians killed by errant rocket fire from within Gaza. Israel has said it has killed 8,500 terrorists since the start of the war. France and Jordan teamed up to airdrop seven tons of aid to civilians and aid workers in Gaza, according to French President Emmanuel Macron. Jacob, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is now in Turkey as part of his fourth visit to the region in three months. There are a lot of developments that have happened since his previous visit, and these tensions have put a lot of strains of what have been, until now, successful U.S. push to prevent a regional war in the weeks after the start of the Hamas-Israeli war. So what do you suspect that Blinken is trying to accomplish this time? 
Yeah, trying to kind of keep everyone on board at this point. He's going to be in Turkey and Greece, Jordan, Qatar, the UAE, Saudi Arabia, Israel, the West Bank, and Egypt. So a very long list. He'll be in Israel around Monday is the, is the plan. And the talk in each of these places will focus on, and when he's in Israel, even more so, trying to get a transition to this next phase of war so that we can start planning for the day after. Um, that we, once we get to lower intensity fighting, then we can, st- it's a better understanding of where the different um, parties are and hopefully um, some sort of what the U.S. hopes will be an eventual two-state scenario, a very long way to go to get there, but trying to get the different parties on board um, in order to set the stage for that place. Um, basically, in Israel, this talk about transitioning to the next phase is something we've heard a lot until now. Um, this idea that we'll have moving from high intensity to low intensity. And basically, the U.S. is leaked, um, speaking to certain reporters and saying, yeah, we're already seeing that, that Israel pulled out thousands of uh, reserves troops early last week um, from Gaza that there's a much less uh, intensive fighting in northern Gaza than there has been that Israel's now focusing more on southern Gaza and focusing on trying to get the leadership which is what the US wants to see so it's happy in that regard the next thing that US wants to see in this in regards of transition is trying to get Palestinians who were forced to leave their homes or Israel asked to leave their homes in the north and the center of Gaza to be allowed to return. And this is a point of major contention with Israel because Israel is talking about not having anyone return to the north until it's completely done um, basically operating and decapitating Hamas there. It says it's made a lot of progress, but it needs more work, and it doesn't want people basically sneaking back into northern Gaza. There's already hundred, uh, several hundred thousand people that have managed to go back or have, have remained, and this is a real cause of concern to for the Israelis um, to have more Palestinians there, fearing that it'll just be a lot of Hamas fighters returning and, and, and rolling back some of the progress the IDF has made. You'll obviously hear other talk about uh, limiting civilian casualties, which Israel says it's trying to do. Um, but the other big thing I think that's on Blinken's agenda is getting more humanitarian aid in, that there's been a lot of um, trouble picking up numbers to even 200, which was what we saw, 200 trucks a day, which is what we saw during the truce in late November. And I'm hearing some interesting details more recently about how there's this feeling amongst a lot of these countries that actually Egypt is a big part of the problem, that they are not able to keep up with the logistics of getting things from their El Arish airport to the trucks, that they're charging lots of money and and slowing down the process because they know that they're the only game in town. And basically, the U.S. and Blinken during his visit is going to try to encourage other options of getting aid to Gaza, be it through Israel directly. Now we have Kerem Shalom, but the idea still right now is that the aid has been going through Egypt and then to Kerem Shalom. But um, the U.S. thinks that if we get some of the aid to come in through lot and then to Kerem Shalom, that it'll speed up the process. Also, there's this talk about Cyprus and a maritime route of aid to Gaza that they would like to really get up and running, which has been talked for about for years at this point. But again, the idea is to not only have Egypt being the only address as it's been feeling to, it's been seen to be unaffected on its own um, the other tricky part is that we're still seeing videos even in the past couple hours of Hamas uh, fighters stealing aid basically just 
jumping on these convoys armed and just rerouting them to where they want to take to where their fighters are ostensibly. Um, so there's a lot of um, cards at play that are very difficult to, to up aid significantly and actually get it to people in need. But given that the f um, there's real concerns of famine right now in Gaza with uh, all these people in the, in the south that have, are just basically in these makeshift camps, that there really needs to be a change on the ground. Otherwise, we're going to be seeing not just famine, but disease and lots of other concerns. Um, obviously, Blinken will talk about hostage talks and, and as you mentioned, pre preventing the conflict from spreading. Um, after the Aruri attack or Aruri killing earlier, earlier this week, obviously the fear is that we're heading in that direction. But the U.S. feels still right now that, that actually Hezbollah is not looking to take that extra step and, and open up a, a further war against Israel. That's really interesting, especially after the several barrages that landed on Israel today, where it seemed like, I don't know, but it seemed like a real step up in terms of the the hostilities there on the border. Yeah, I think um, there were, there's A, that's the new normal um, of just these constant rocket attacks. I think the the feeling is that as long as it doesn't go to Haifa, that's seen, Haifa is seen, like, like rockets from Gaza to Tel Aviv are seen as this major escalation. Haifa is seen as that similar um, step that it, once it's taken, then, okay, we're in a new space. There's also this recognition that we even if the parties say that they're not interested, that's where the U.S. is basing its assessment on, that intelligence basically messages that Hezbollah and Iran are passing along that they don't want an all-out war right now. Um, that even if they say that one errant rocket hitting a civilian facility and killing people could lead a war that even both sides say they don't want. Defense Minister Yoav Gallant said we want a what diplomatic solution to, to the Lebanon tensions, but if it doesn't come soon, basically the, the clock is running out and we're going to have to take a military response. So I think basically Lincoln's going to be trying to, to maybe walk some of these parties bring them back from the brink of war and maybe talk them down. I think that will be one of his goals for the for the for his visit. Okay, we'll go to a short break. Shalom, dear listeners. This is Daniil Hartman. And I'm Yossi Klein Halevi. Together we host the podcast For Heaven's Sake from the Shalom Hartman Institute. These have been some of the most challenging days for me personally, for Israel, and for the Jewish people. And one of the ways in which I've gotten through this is that I found solace and meaning through discussions with my dear friend and study partner, Daniil Hartman. And I hope that the Times of Israel listeners will join us as we continue to tackle the pressing questions facing the Jewish people here at For Heaven's Sake, which has become the number one Judaism podcast. Well, Daniil, I'd also like to recommend the Identity Crisis podcast hosted by our colleague and friend Yehuda Kurtzer. It's a series of fantastic conversations with leading figures in Jewish life, thought, and culture. You know, for decades, the Hartman Institute has been a preeminent destination for Jewish ideas and learning. Now you can access Hartman Ideas on these chart-topping podcasts at shalomhartman.org forward slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We are privileged to help guide you through these challenging and even unsettling times. And we're back. On Wednesday, the Biden administration tore into South Africa for filing an application at the International Court of Justice to begin proceedings to declare that Jerusalem was violating its obligations under the 1948 Genocide Convention in its war against Hamas. So, South Africa's application last week to the Hague Court charges that the IDF operations against Hamas are, quote, 
genocidal in character as they are committed with the requisite specific intent to destroy Palestinians in Gaza as part of the broader Palestinian national, racial, and ethnical group. So this is, of course, being decried by Israel, obviously. But what are we hearing from U.S. officials as well? It's been interesting hearing some very harsh criticism from the U.S. We had State Department spokesman Matthew Miller say that the U.S. is not seeing any acts that constitute genocide. And White House spokesperson John Kirby said that this application is meritless, counterproductive, and completely without basis, in fact, whatsoever. So some very harsh rhetoric from the U.S. that recognizes that if pressure or the perception in the world is it grows that Israel is com- uh, carrying out a genocide against Palestinians, that it's going to ha- be even harder for it to maintain the support that it's that it has held on to for for months on end at this point, and recognizes that a, a, an injunction, basically what South Africa is seeking, compelling Israel to to implement immediate ceasefire, would make it even harder for the U.S. to really continue its diplomacy, diplomatic efforts, which are very much against a ceasefire at this point and wants to see Hamas completely removed from Gaza. I think what we're seeing in this, this application, basically Israel, because this isn't the ICC, it's the ICJ, and Israel is a signatory to the Geneva Convention that's basically the basis for the ICJ, and is therefore compelled to respond and and trying to fight this as opposed to just rejecting the court's jurisdiction over over this case um, it's eventually trying to hope that that is that the court will say that, that we don't have the the, the the authority to compel Israel to stop the war that Israel is not of course com- committing genocide that is an outrageous accusation we and Israel is differentiating between civilians and and combatants and look at the amount of aid that Israel's trying to get in if Israel was actually trying to, to perpetrated genocide, it wouldn't be taking these steps. The tricky part, though, is that they have uh, a long file of all these different quotes and tweets and comments that various lawmakers in the coalition and even in the cabinet, in the security cabinet, who are basically have called for all sorts of things that you could maybe argue are amounting to calls for genocide. Um, a lot of ministers have called for flattening Gaza. Um, even people in the opposition, Avigdor Lieberman, um, called, said there's no innocent civilians there. There, um, the calls by Israel Katz, who is now the foreign minister, that we shouldn't, that we should have a siege and not allow one drop of water, one drop of fuel, one drop of electricity. Those things don't help Israel's case. Um, and basically, what I understand is that the an Israeli official I spoke with said that they recognize these comments have been problematic and hurt Israel's case. But they, Israel stressing that they were made by people who are not really decision makers, that they're, these are Likud backbenchers that are making these comments, calling for wiping out all of Gaza, whereas the people making these decisions are not um, uh, the, one, the, the ones who think this way, and are, that, that's not the actual policy. The trickier part, though, still is that some of these ministers, like Bitsala Smotrich and Itamar Bengvir, are in positions of authority, and they're also making these sorts of comments. But uh, the Israeli position will be that they don't really totally mean them, according to the Channel 12 report. So that's basically the, the, the line that Israel's going to try to argue in the court. Um, according to a U.S. official I spoke with, there's not a total belief that this case will lead to um, it, the court actually calling for a, an immediate ceasefire. But it is something that a lot of the parties, um, the U.S. and Israel, are, are concerned about right now. 
Another, shall we say, tricky comment came uh, last week when Israeli ministers Bezalel Smotrich and Itamar Ben-Gvir were essentially advocating for the resettlement of Palestinians outside of Gaza, meaning transfer. And in the meantime, we're hearing that there has been some kind of talk with uh, countries, including Congo and other very poor, volatile African states. So State Department spokesman Matthew Miller weighed in here. What did he say? Yeah, they issue, he issued a relatively rare statement because it was unprompted, as in this wasn't a State Department briefing where he was asked about it and then he responded. But actually, um, during the holiday weekend or at the end of the holiday weekend, um, the U.S. issued the statement on its own basically tearing into Itamar Ben-Gvir and Bezalel Smotrich for their inflammatory and irresponsible rhetoric. Um, and the fact that they even named these two ministers is something that's very rare in the U.S. statements. Typically, they're much more vague, especially for an ally like Israel to name specific people. That's usually something they save for, for countries that they're a lot less... Uh, fond of. But um, basically, Miller went on to say that we have been told repeatedly and consistently by the government of Israel, including by the prime minister, that such statements by Ben-Gvir and Smotrich do not reflect the policy of the Israeli government. They should stop immediately. So very harsh statement. And also, I think it was like a jab at Ben-Gvir and Smotrich to say like, look, you're saying these things and you don't even have any influence on the government. And we're going to be telling the entire world this as well. So definitely a shock below the belt, I think, from, from the U.S. at both Ben-Gvir, Smotrich, but also Netanyahu, who they feel that you can't keep telling us that this isn't policy if your most senior members members of your government continue to say this and you and you um, allow it to go unchecked, that Biden on a recent phone call with Netanyahu was very adamant that he needs to stand up to some of these more, um, the, the right-wing flank of his coalition, because Biden said, look, I'm doing the same thing with my the, my far left that's been nagging on me every day to get a ceasefire and to condition aid to Gaza, and I'm standing up to them and dealing with them, and they're not taking influence, and they're not um, adjudicating policy. But I need you to do the same with some of your base as well, because it's, um, it's harming efforts by the U.S. to try to get other countries on board to help Israel stabilize the situation in Gaza after the war. And these kind of statements are, of course, not the kind of ideology that War Cabinet Minister Benny Gantz signed on for when he joined this emergency coalition government. And on Friday, because of this and and many other issues, Gantz warned Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to choose between unity or playing politics. So what else was Gantz referring to in this? Yeah, this was against the backdrop of this crazy security cabinet meeting that that took place late Thursday night where it was supposed to talk about the day after the war and but Likud ministers had this complete freak out over this report that came out minutes before they met from Channel 12 that was revealed that um, the IDF chief of staff Herzi Alevi had formed a committee to look into the failures that led to October 7th and basically the feeling is they're against this because this forces the government to do the same to look into those failures and Netanyahu obviously doesn't want to do that right now he wants to kind of wait till after the war to buy time and remain in power. Um, the other frustration is that Shaul Mofaz, who um, was involved in the Gaza disengagement, is seen as part of the, quote-unquote, the concepcia, the, the previous think that led Israel to October 7th, is leading this committee. And the feeling amongst these Likud ministers is that the IDF should focus on fighting the war and not uh, investigations. That, so Miri Regev, during this meeting, is 
the, the, the quotes are really insane that came out. She says, I'm really sick and tired of the army. Dudi Amsalam, another Likud minister, said, why are you focusing on probes when you should be focusing on winning? And Ben-Gvir shouts that Shaul Mofaz is part of the Concepcia. Benny Gantz loses his cool and says, let the IDF chief of staff do his effing investigation. It's literally part of the army's DNA and will ensure that we don't make the same mistakes in the north. And all that happens and Netanyahu kind of just sits and lets everyone gang up on Halevi and eventually just says, okay, the meeting is over. So that... Um, all those quotes were quickly leaked to the media. For some reason, all these parties have an interest in, in showing this embarrassment at the national scale. And Benny Gantz issues a statement basically blaming Netanyahu for allowing these attacks on the, def- on the IDF chief of staff to unfold. He calls it the worst security cabinet meeting he's ever been a part of and says that it's blocking discussions on the next phase of war, which we need to have for security concerns that this is a national security matter and that Netanyahu is basically choosing politics by allowing these arguments to unfold over security and also on unity. Um, so he says you need to decide what you want, hinting that this can't go on for much longer. And Likud hits back on Gantz and says basically lawmakers should be and ministers should be allowed to to criticize and challenge the IDF chief of staff. It's part of democracy. And that really, Gantz, you're the one playing politics and wrecking unity with your statements, which are clearly paving the way for your trying to exit the government, which will be a violation of the commitment that you made to stay until the war ends. Now, that's not totally true at all that Gantz made that commitment. He kept things vague, saying he'll, he knew when to start entering the government and he'll know when to end. Um, but clearly, that, that these ties between the um, Gantz, but also Galant, who came to, who's a def, uh, the defense minister in the Likud party, who came to Galant's defense and the idea of chief of staff's defense, that there's this growing gap between them and, and Netanyahu and the rest of the Likud party. So it's definitely something to watch for. Jacob, thank you so much for all of these updates. And I hope you do take a minute to enjoy playing in the snow today. I'll do my best. Thanks, Amanda. Listeners, thank you for joining us on another Daily Briefing episode. This installment was produced by The Podwaves. If you have questions about this or any other episode, please drop us an email to podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until tomorrow, shalom. Shalom.